Welcome to episode number 52 of the Marine Liar podcast. We'll talk about Brian Wu's evolution in the big leagues this year, including his addition of a cutter and how much he's been throwing it. We'll talk about Justin Topa's recent run of dominance in the bullpen. We'll go down on the farm and take a look around the minor leagues and pick out a standout Mariners minor leaguer. A look around baseball with our MLB wraparound, another Russell Wilson umpire of the week, and we'll close out the show with Speak Your Mind. And before we start the show, a reminder to you guys that if you're listening on our audio platforms, head over to YouTube, check us out on our video side too. If you head over there, hit subscribe, like, comment, turn those notification bells on. That way you know when we go live, you know when we post an episode. So make sure to go over and do that and hit subscribe to our YouTube channel. We just passed a thousand followers, by the way, or subscribers, I should Oof. say. So that's that's pretty cool. cool. That's pretty that cool. That's pretty cool. And then if you go over to our audio platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, go follow us, download our episodes, and give us that five-star review. The five-star review and the downloads help us out big time, so it only takes a couple extra seconds, so make sure to go do that. And then follow us on social media, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube Shorts, at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording a day early on Wednesday, August 30th. And Lyle, I came to a conclusion this week. Would you like to know what it is? I'm anxiously waiting. Okay. I, after lots of consideration, about 24 hours worth of consideration, I would say near 24 hours worth of consideration, have come to the realization that you should be banned from attending Tuesday Mariner games. Hmm. What, do you, what, what do you have to say for yourself? Coincidence or not that I was there and the Mariners lose to the Oakland A's. It's all, it's all on me. I mean, it's all on me. It's, it's my fault. It's tough for a bit because not only do the Mariners need to beat the A's every single time they play on this season, not only is one of our friends one of the most obnoxious A's fans you will ever, or he claims he's an A's fan, you get the point, of all time. But also, it just so happens that you show up and George Kirby gets scratched with an illness and all of a sudden Julio's foot is hurting and then Ty France has a ball go off his wrist and then J.B. Crawford slides late into second base and is hobbling and the only correlation I can really draw here is uh, Lyle Goldstein in the ballpark. Hmm. I've been there on a Monday once before, and Paul Seawald got traded about five seconds before I walked through the door. We got that Jeff Passan notification on our phones. So is it weekday games as a whole I'm just banned from, or have has that been retracted because Rojas and Canzone have been so good? How about Monday through Thursday? Because I still miss Paul. That's fair. Usually we are there on weekends in all seriousness. That's when TJ and I are usually at the ballpark doing content is those Friday, Saturday, Sunday games when they're at home. We coordinated to be there on Tuesday this week because we worked out a time to talk to Luis Castillo to get him on our social media channels and ask him some of those fun questions. And that was just the day it worked out. And certainly to get a chance to talk to Luis, I was like, yeah, I will carve time out of a weekday to go down to the ballpark and do it. So we've already posted one of our clips with them on our channel, which is pretty cool. What I didn't think was going to happen is a couple hours after we would see arguably the Mariners' best pitcher, you can make an argument for George Kirby, and the Mariners' best hitter both get scratched from the game less than an hour before. 
that I did not expect. Yeah. Or did you expect it because you were the reason for it? Yeah, this is all getting pinned on me. It is. I, like, the only thing that changes, right? All those t- people who are planning on being at the ballpark, they probably bought those tickets a while ago. I know the Funko Pops are really popular. Someone who actually works at my station made it a point to go up to Seattle here from uh, from the Corvallis, Albany area to get a Funko Pop specifically. And the Mariners had over 44,000 people there on a Tuesday night, by the way, which is bonkers in and of itself. But all those people have already planned to be there. All the beat writers, all the media, they know they're going to be there. But us, you know, we're coordinating. We're, we're, we're trying to get Luis this time and trying to get Luis that time. And because the first time you went to get Luis was the trade deadline, right? Yeah, it was. That, so that, I, I think that you was- trying to get Luis during the week is really the core issue here. Now, if you want to see Lyle, all of Lyle's hard work, go check out our social media pages, wherever you get your social media, Sans Facebook, at Marine Layer Pod. So uh, the fact that three guys get scratched from a lineup, or three guys eventually are out of a game by the third inning, and the Mariners, one of the most popular Mariners in the clubhouse, gets traded. Uh, I, I think, you know, that's that's some pretty hard work to get to get that, if you think about it. Weekends only is what I'm hearing out of your mouth. That's it. Yeah, I think so. I think so because, you know, results speak for themselves, as they always say. Especially in Major League Baseball, your record is uh, your record is what 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 it is, right? That's what it is. Do I make a counterpoint here and say that that is the only game the Mariners have lost to the A's all season? That's even more to your more to the point. There's no counter to that. You <sighs> just you hurt yourself even more. It's like so. Not only are the two games I showed up to try and interview Luis, the most popular figure in the clubhouse, got traded. Julio and George got scratched pregame. Ty gets scratched out of the lineup in the middle of the game. J.P. Crawford looks like he potentially hurt himself. And the Mariners lost to the A's for the first time all season, a team they should never lose to. I'm not. I'm. I'm no lawyer, but the the cards are not stacked in your favor here. I don't think the jury's ruling in your favor, there, sir. Maybe I'll have to rest my case. No more Tuesday games. Period. No. Are we reaching a settlement here? Been watching a lot of suits, so I, I'm I'm ready for my uh, ready to. I got my, I'm brushed up on, on lawyer skills. So you want to reach a settlement here? Just no more Tuesdays, no more Mondays or Tuesdays. My settlement, however, is the Mariners play the angels Monday and Tuesday. And as we've started to promote a little bit here for a couple of weeks now, we've got some promotions to do on that Monday and Tuesday in a couple of weeks when the angels are in town. So I may have to put that whole thing on pause for an exception. Mm. Yeah. We're going to have to, I don't know. We're gonna have to talk about this. Yeah, I mean, yes, you're going to be there, but now, like, this is the litmus test of okay. how much your 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 cursed aura is going to affect this team. That's true, and the Angels are about as bad as you can get at this point. We'll get into that later. So, if I go in a couple weeks during those weekday games and they have a bad series, maybe we'll have to circle back to this. Then maybe, like, I'm actually never letting you go to the ballpark again the first four days of the week. <laughs> Oof, man, I've got some pressure here. There's pressure on me for the Mariners to win in a couple weeks. Yeah, we'll have to see. Let's get to our Mariners storylines. First up on our Mariners storylines, this idea came to light earlier this week on Monday, where we see Brian Wu, despite a pitch count, manage six brilliant innings against the Oakland A's. And I thought we would check in on this. Well, how have you seen Brian Wu's evolution 
as a big league pitcher throughout these months that he's been up with the Mariners. First thing that jumps out is his fastball. What all five of these Mariners starters have that's so unique about this rotation, all five of them have true fastball value. And Brian Wu is certainly in that category. The run value that Wu has on both his four-seamer and his sinker, aka a two-seamer, the two pitch types are pretty similar, each are three. So when a fastball is coming out of Brian Wu's hand, the run value is six. And positive run value for a pitcher means he is pitching well and guys are not hitting him. So when Brian Wu throws fastballs, it gives hitters nightmares. The biggest thing I've taken away is that Brian Wu fastball, despite getting lit up in that first start against the Rangers, where we saw him leave a lot over the middle in his uh, in his debut, we see now that this is a very, very upper echelon big league heater. There's a really good segment that's probably still up on the MLB Network Twitter pages, probably on their Facebook page, probably on their YouTube as well, about the uniqueness of the slots of the Mariners. Because Lyle mentioned like, all five Mariners starters have fastball value. But the reason they all have fastball value, as MLB Network put it, and I thought this was brilliant, is that none of them are average in any way. The worst thing you can do is be average at something. So from like a release point, an extension point, a spin point, you don't want to be average in any of those senses because that's what most of the big league hitters see. But Brian Wu is like the epitome of that, right? He's like the opposite. I think you're going to reference something about this, but I'll, I'll just start it. If you notice like what makes Brian Wu so unique as a pitcher is how low he releases the ball. We see a lot about how high you can release the ball and how intimidating it is to have a ball come like straight down at you. But what about a ball like riding up? Because that's what Brian Wu does so well. He almost like launches the ball up. It's not actually up because he's on a mound, but that low release angle that he has really works to his benefit. And we, we've kind of seen that. And it helps when you can mix two fastballs that move in completely different directions. Him and Logan Gilbert are polar opposites in that way. Logan is very over the top. He gets right on top of you with his fastball. He's got the really long extension. Brian Wu releases it from a pretty low point, but the actual stuff on it makes it near impossible to hit. So what they call induced vertical break, which is a fancy name for essentially fastball rise. Brian Wu has next level fastball rise on his pitches. The break he gets on that fastball, aka the elevation and the rise, is about 15 inches. And between the low release angle and the high rising fastball, man, does it give hitters nightmares. And people, not just, not just like fans who like watching Brian Wu, but actual front office people, media people, analysts, they rave about Brian Wu's heater because it's really unique and it gives hitters fits. Here's something I'll propose. I'm looking at a Savant page and the thought pops into my head. That, like not many rookie Savant pages look like this. I can't really color it if you're watching on YouTube or, or listening on wherever podcast platform you're listening on. But his Savant page is better than George Kirby's was when he was a rookie. His Savant page is better than Logan Gilbert's was when he was a rookie. And I was thinking, okay, who's the best rookie pitcher this year? Who's going to be the best full-season rookie pitcher? I think it's probably Tanner Bibby, right? You would say so in, in Cleveland. Well, unless you had any objections. That's probably right. Tanner Bibby is – or I think it's actually said Bibby. But Bibby, Bibby is yeah. – he is some shot to win rookie of the year. It's not a slam dunk, but he is very much in the mix. So I was like, okay, so look at his 
Brian Woos blows his out of the water. Now, remember, all of these are expected, right? This is based on the quality of contact, not on the results. But regardless, I mean, Brian Woos looks like someone who's like in his third season. But he's <laughs> 60 innings into his big league career. And in terms of total innings this year, I guess he's at 109 and... Um, which is another thing we'll talk about here in a little bit of of his workload and how they're going to manage him going forward. But it's just it's just marvelous to see that even coming off the injured list and being a little rusty and being on a pitch count, he still manages to actually mow down the A's lineup, which again isn't actually that much of an achievement. But we will uh, we'll highlight it as well. I want to talk to you about his cutter because that's a pitch he started highlighting more and more and more as this season has gone along. And we saw the most usage out of it on Monday versus the A's. He got his highest chase rate on it, over 50%, 55% to be exact, on Monday against the A's. And he's almost replaced his slider with that pitch. And I thought that was kind of interesting that he has turned his more sweeping slider into a cutter, which essentially acts as like a gyro bullet slider. And it's been very effective and getting guys to chase as well. He's just continued to add more pitches. It's pretty, I mean, it is pretty remarkable. Sometimes you'll see guys do this, right? Just like how Logan Gilbert ditched his changeup. He preferred the splitter. Brian Wu opts to go to the cutter. And he's got a big arsenal for a rookie too. He didn't come in here. He's different than Bryce Miller in this way too. We talked about how Logan Gilbert and Wu are different. Well, the two rookies are different too. And Miller and Wu. Miller is very fastball dependent and don't get us wrong. Wu will highlight his fastball, but Bryce Miller is really a two pitch guy at this point. Brian Wu's arsenal is very large and he has added pitches like this cutter, which have proven to be very effective. I think people still believe there's some room for that cutter to grow, but when it's on, it's really, really good. And I think about it this way. He just throws cutter pretty soft. It's not like a hard Corbin Burns cutter, but if you think about the direction those three pitches goes, his two-seam fastball slash sinker runs to his arm side. His fastball, for the most part, like tiny bit of arm side run, but for the most part, you know, it's a fastball. It goes it goes up. It, it doesn't really move horizontally. But then his cutter moves towards his glove side. And if you think about someone throwing their pitches hard, harder, right, you'd say, okay, so Brian Wu has a fastball that he now essentially throws to the glove side. He has a fastball that rises and goes up. And he also has a fastball that goes to his arm side and goes in. And those are bit, those were his three primary pitches on Monday. And it was about as effective as we've ever seen. That might not be his repertoire every single start, but he's shown that like he's pretty comfortable with those pitches. And it allows for a little bit more consistency when you're dealing with less break on all of your pitches. You can throw more strikes. And as we mentioned, you will say, well, Brian Wood needs to work on his command. Well, what better way to work on your command than if you know you have a better idea of where your pitches are going? like like he did on Monday. So just as a refresher for people who don't remember the final line on Monday, Brian Wu against the A's went six innings, three hits, no runs, one walk, five strikeouts. Now there's people out there that will think to themselves when they see fastballs watching on TV, oh, you got to sit on the fastball, wait for the fastball, take advantage of the heater. Well, when you're Brian Wu and you have a fastball that moves straight, a fastball that breaks to his right, and a fastball that breaks to his left, that's not an easy task for hitters to try and figure out because if you see a straight fastball and then all of a sudden it just moves right at the end of the pitch, there's no preparing for that. This is why it gives guys fits. He has essentially three different fastballs like you outlined and you don't know which way it's going. 
And let me clarify again. I used it in like a general sense. His cutter's really not like a not like a true fastball, but it is a harder pitch. I mean, he throws it in the upper eighties, so it's like close enough. It does drop quite a bit. It's like thirty inches of drop on it, which is very similar to his slider. The only difference again between those two pitches is that his cutter only breaks four inches to his glove side, opposed to I think it was thirteen inches for his slider. So that that's interesting, but. I thought it was an interesting case study on Monday because using primarily those three pitches, he ends up throwing 15 of 20 first pitch strikes and one three ball count in the question of, yeah, you know where your stuff is going. And and the data point we got on Monday kind of shows that. Now, if you look on the other side, if you look at his slider, he's throwing his slider less. If you line up, you can go on Baseball Savant and look at pitch percentages of your cutter, game by game this season, and you look at pitch percentage of your slider game by game this season. Not a perfect straight line, but his cutter overall has trended down. His cutter, sorry, his cutter, cutter has trended up in usage. His, um, his, his slider, yeah, loss of words there. His slider has been moving down. It's down in pitch percentage per start. And then his chase rate overall for his cutter as well as he's thrown at more, has continued to go up. So I think that's a pretty positive development for Brian Wu if he's really feeling comfortable with his repertoire. Again, I think back to Logan Gilbert's rookie season. He hated throwing his off-speed pitches because he didn't know, he had no command of them. He didn't know where they were going, and they really weren't effective strikeout pitches. He'd become so fastball-reliant. Well, now Brian Wu has a pitch that's not necessarily his fastball that he's comfortable throwing, and it's effective. It, it's just so much more advanced than what we saw from Logan Gilbert as a rookie. I mean, even you could say to some sense, George Kirby, George Kirby's stuff, as we mentioned this year, is infinitely better this year than it was last year. He did have his times last year where he just couldn't miss bats as often. It's not the problem this year for George. And Brian is showing that now as a 23-year-old. Pretty impressive. Did you hear the story they were talking about with Trent Trent Blank and Brian Wu on the broadcast on Monday? Uh, No. So this was a great story. So Trent Blank, who is the Mariners, to give, give him the exact correct terminology, he is the director of pitching for the Mariners. And they were talking about that 2021 draft class where they drafted Brian Wu in the sixth round. A lot of people thought that was way too high to be taken Wu because he did not throw a lot of innings. His numbers on paper were not good at Cal Poly and he had injury problems. People thought that was a bit of a stretch to go take him in the sixth round. Well, if you ask Trent Blank, he said, if I had the first pick, 1-1, one, one. I'm taking Brian Wu in that draft. He said, I am taking Brian Wu at number one overall in 2021 because they absolutely fell in love with all the stuff and the numbers that were just blowing up their radars when they saw him in college. Now, they didn't take him in the first round. They settled and took him in the sixth. But here he is looking like he's looking right now. And we'll see where he progresses forward because there's a lot of people that believe Wu's upside could be in the top end of this rotation, maybe ahead of guys like Bryce Miller. I do raise my eyebrow to that just a little bit, but their bet has paid off. They did believe in him as a big leaguer and he has performed. So they they were right. They're right on that. Maybe not one, one that might be a stretch. Well, Trent blank doesn't get to make the pick to be fair. He's that's just what he said. He loved Wu that much that that's when he wanted him. He said, if it was up to me, that's what I'm doing. What are they going to do with his workload? So he's at 109 innings. We're nearing up on a stretch. As of recording this, there's going to be an off day tomorrow. And then when this episode publishes, 
they're going to start a 13 game stretch with no off days in the start of September, where I believe there are only, there are only two off days after, after tomorrow, there will only be two off days the rest of the season. How are they going to, how are they going to balance this? So Scott Service talked about this on Tuesday in his media session. They did say that they're going to monitor it. They did say they're going to keep a close eye on it. If you saw Brian Wu get pulled after six innings the other night when his pitch count was really low, this would explain why. First off, the Mariners were torturing the A's in that game. It was a blowout. And they decided this is a perfect opportunity to get Wu off his feet and keep his pitch count down. Now, what they do on this road trip, it's probably a possibility. They skip one of his starts. He was also just on the IL, just as a way to make sure he is not overworking himself. They do have Luke Weaver, who made the spot start on Tuesday. If they need somebody to fill in again for Wu, they have someone. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we know that Brian Wu is on an innings limit. He hasn't been shut down, which is great for the Mariners' sake because he's been so useful for him. But if he's not going to get shut down, they're probably finding unique ways to just plug and play him a little bit to make sure he's not getting overworked. And part of that might be missing a start on this upcoming road trip. I do think it's interesting that they say innings limit because he's whatever limit they had probably set preseason. He's already passed it. I guarantee that. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's more doubled in, than his innings than he had last year, more than doubled, and that just like that just doesn't happen. But we saw the same thing with Kirby down the stretch last year. I mean, they monitor him a little bit in August, but like once they needed him in September, I mean, he was still full go for the most part. So I'm I'm curious. I, I would say the final couple of weeks of the season, he's probably gonna have the training wheels off. Like they're because they're gonna need him. Like they gotta win these games still, right? They're looking out for Brian Wu, but they also gotta they also gotta win these games so responsibly. They're gonna put him out there and they're just gonna let him pitch. I have a hard time seeing them actually shutting him down or or anything. I mean, it might be one start where he goes three innings. I would say he, he piggybacks. He goes three. Luke Weaver goes two or three, and then the bullpen takes the rest, right? I think that's probably would be, especially now that the rosters are expanding, you can afford to do that a little bit more. Yeah, and look, Kirby didn't have the injury problems that Brian Wu had, but you look at the last 10 games all against the Astros and Rangers, and you don't need us to tell you that the Astros and Rangers are neck and neck with the Mariners in this AL West race. And every game's going to matter. That The last 10 games may decide the season. So they're going to need their full rotation going and at the top of their game. And that includes Brian Wu. I do want to give one little last shout out here to this really good article from Pitcher List. Shout out to Jack Foley that wrote it. If we haven't sold you enough on just how much people believe in Brian Wu's stuff, the headline of this article is Brian Wu's repertoire is the blueprint for modern pitching. Yeah, the blueprint. And basically what this article gets into, without reading every detail, is that while he does need to work on command, he is so far and removed from the old school pitcher type, the hit your spots, throw strikes, pinpoint command type guy. He is a guy that has ridiculous stuff. In fact, they headline in this article or they outline that they don't believe he actually has pure stuff to improve on. Like they think his stuff is all there. It is just about refining some of his pitches and crisp and making sure that command is crisp moving forward. But they outline with all of his pitches just how good and effective it can be. And they basically believe his future has just sky high limitations. That's great. Like, just remember, Brian Wu hasn't even pitched 200 innings since college. Mm-hmm. Remember that. He hasn't. 
that that's how much people love his stuff. And they outline it with all these pitches. Again, you can check out this Jack Foley article on pitcher list, just detailing what makes Brian Wu so unique because there are not many like him, especially with the stuff he possesses and how many pitches he can throw. It's the Mariners got a good one. They got a really good one in Brian Wu. Yeah. I'm going to have to read that article. Glad you, glad you pointed that out. Before we get to our second storyline here, a quick word from our friends at the Columbia Athletic Club. Columbia Athletic Club in Juanita Bay in Kirkland is a full-service, family-owned athletic club that's been inspiring healthier lives since 1981. Amenities include all-new strength and cardio equipment, free weights, basketball and squash courts, saltwater pools, and hot tubs, and so much more. Included with your membership are group exercise classes with the likes of yoga, Zumba, bar, group power, and cycling. The best promotions of the year start now through the fall season. Get started with a free five-day trial at ColumbiaAthletic.com. That's ColumbiaAthletic.com. This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. Catch more frights with The Boogeyman and American Horror Story Delicate on Hulu. And on ESPN Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney Bundle with plans starting at $9.99 a month. Plans with ESPN Plus starting at $14.99 a month. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Second storyline, TJ. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The Mariners' best reliever is Justin Topa. And I didn't, you know, I didn't realize this run he was on, to be honest. Until we decided yesterday to talk about this, I, 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 I wouldn't have noticed the fact that he has not given up uh, he's given up one earned run in his last 23 and a third innings, dated back to that national series in which we declared the season was over. Like, that's how long, in that span, since that series, he's given up one earned run. So, yeah, by results, yes. Yes, he is. Now, that is until today, today being the day we're recording on Wednesday, where he did give up one run to the A's. But that being said, Dude has been on an absolute tear. So entering Wednesday, he's had an 0.68 ERA since June 15th. Since July 1st, it's been 0.40. And this run he gave up on Wednesday against the A's snapped a streak of what was 18 consecutive scoreless appearances. Justin Topa has been absolutely lethal. And this also comes at the right time where Matt Brash and Andres Munoz have been struggling to sort of figure themselves out in August for as hot as the Mariners have been in August hasn't come without some struggles from your two best stuff relievers in, in Brash and Munoz and Munoz had a nice clean inning today to finish up the game with the A's, but it hasn't been all easy sailing for him as being, he's been trying to navigate his sophomore season with the Mariners and Brash as well in his own sophomore season. It's not been a hundred percent consistent. Well, Justin Topa, just this random 32-year-old rookie who the Mariners traded for from the Brewers for Joseph Hernandez in the offseason, uh, doesn't seem to be having that issue. I mean, he is very confident in his stuff, and it's worked remarkably. Here's the best stat of all of that, what you, of what you just mentioned. In that stretch that I mentioned, he's not given up a single barrel. Not one. 
And a barrel, by the way, for those who forgot what that is, it's the right combination of exit velocity and launch angle. A barrel is essentially what you want for a home run. Essentially, you hit it between X and X and you hit it over 95 miles an hour. Is Topa technically a rookie? I thought he surpassed that. I mean, I know he hasn't I, thrown many innings, but I think he is technically a rookie, isn't he? Let me look. I'll 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 sniff this out. Okay. While you look, my bet on that is no, by the way, but let's see. While you look that up, I would also like to mention just piggybacking off of what you said. With him not giving up barrels, evidently, he doesn't really give up home runs. Like his home run per nine rate is about 0.9. Like he doesn't give up the long ball. Nobody hits him hard either, as evident from the barrels. Because he is ranked in the 98th percentile in barrel percentage. He is ranked in the 96th percentile in XCRA. He's in the 95th percentile in expected slugging. Nobody hits Topa hard. He gets so many soft ground balls and weak contact. This is what makes him good. And this is what the, the Mariners thought could make him good when they traded for him. Is he gets so much soft contact from his pitch repertoire. I mean, he's a big sinker slider guy. And as a result, people don't really hit him. Yeah, I can't really find an answer on this. Yeah, I'll, I I did find all of that. I'm, I yeah, I, I guess you're right because he's like he has two full years of service technically by the by the counter. Right. So that's right. I'm uh, maybe I was just misreading something. Um, yeah, man, dude, that sinker is unreal. It it is so 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 effective. Got like I mentioned with the barrel thing, right? The best thing about a sinker is you can't do the most damage with it, and we think about. Uh, like we think about like the ideal Mariners bullpen arm, say last year, right? They last year, uh, in terms of what was that number I have here? Uh, it was oh, it was ground ball rate, right? We think about the Mariners bullpen as a whole, right? This year, they've been one of the best bullpens in baseball at generating ground balls. They are third in baseball in generating ground balls. Last year, they were twenty eighth. Right, without Justin, guys like Justin Topo, without guys like Gabe Spire or Taylor Saucedo, who generate a lot of ground balls, it's what Justin Topa does is overall been a an evolution of this Mariners bullpen from what they were last year to what they are this year. And this year, despite less household names and trading Paul Seawald away, the effectiveness has continued because they've found ways to evolve and. And be effective by, instead of getting a bunch of strikeouts, is getting a bunch of ground balls. Topa's ground ball rate is 58%. Yeah, that's high. That is very, very high. But I will say about Topa, while he gets a bunch of ground balls and soft contact, let's not twist the narrative here. He's not getting ground balls as being this guy who throws, oh, 91, 92. He's a little bit of a, he has a little bit of a low 90s fastball. No, he throws 98 miles an hour. Justin Topa throws 97 to 98 miles an hour. He is not just hitting his spots and generating weak contact. He is hitting his spots. His command's been pretty good. But he throws with heat. It's not like he's throwing in the low 90s. He just gets guys to swing and hit into the hit balls into the ground because they cannot time up his hard fast or his hard sinker. I th- is it safe to say that he's the 2021 Paul Seawald or the 2022 Eric Swanson of this bullpen? Yeah, he he is the breakout guy, and it's not to it's not to throw aside Spire or Saucedo or some of the other guys that have really started to help out, even somebody like Isaiah Campbell. But this is just highlighting that the guy you didn't expect to be much of anything at the time of the trade 
has turned into arguably the highest leverage arm in the bullpen. If that's what you mean, I am fully in agreement. Yeah, and I got... There's an, like, speaking of good articles, Lookout Landing wrote a good article on Justin Topa that yeah, if you if you would like to learn more about his pitch mix, some things that, uh, like, I don't even have written down here that is included, including his cutter. Very, very, very interesting stuff. Too many numbers for, for me to say in this segment, but some very interesting stuff. Regardless, the Mariners wouldn't be where they are right now without Justin Topa. They wouldn't. It's interesting. He's kind of taken over Munoz's old role. When Paul Seawald got traded, the roles were Seawald would usually close. Munoz would face the best guys in the order. Brash was the bridge guy. Now, Brash's role hasn't really changed, but now, not all the time, but more often, you will see Munoz strictly pitch the ninth, and you'll see Topa go out there against the heart of the lineup when they need him most, whether it's the seventh or eighth inning, and he's been effective doing it. And another interesting thing I think about or throwing comps out there uh, and, and roles didn't I? I was thinking back to when they signed him, and 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 I think we mentioned on here. It's like, yeah, he's just like Paul Seawald. I mean, this is the the Paul Seawald mold. They couldn't be any different, to be honest. Totally different because Paul Seawald throws high fastballs with good spin rate that get a lot of swing and miss, and then he throws a sweeping slider. What does Topa do? He throws deadly sinkers and gets a lot of. Soft ground ball contact. Seawald, for the most part, was always a strikeout guy. Sam's twenty twenty two. Yeah, just an interesting thing. Um, yeah, this like Justin Topa has been such such a revelation, and he's gonna continue to have to be a big part. He's gonna have to get some big outs down the stretch, and you know if Brash and Munoz falter at any point, like they need him. They need like he's number three now. I would say, well, number three actually. Well, we've we labeled him number one in this. And on this podcast, we labeled him number one. I would guess in Scott's, Scott doesn't have rankings, or he says he doesn't have rankings. But if Scott's got his 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 tier list, like one person to tier, Topas now is number three. His uh, that's his guy. So they're gonna need him. I wouldn't be shocked if even Scott thinks higher of Topa than three at this point, just because again he he's facing the best guys in the order. It's not brash. It's not Brash that's in there in the eighth inning facing two, three, and four. Brash usually is the bridge guy with runners on base. We've seen Topa in the last couple weeks pitching those very high leverage spots. Hasn't phased him one bit. Nope. And that's just, again, just remarkable. And another ode to the Mariners' unbelievable pitching development. And I'm excited to see which scrap heap guy they uh, they put in there next year. That'll be interesting. Um, yeah. Good stuff I- on what? Go ahead. I would like to ask Jerry DePoto what I have to do to get a spot in the bullpen. I'm going to tell him I throw about 74 miles an hour, not much off speed. I did hit my spots when I pitched in 7th, 8th, ninth grade. What do I have to do to get in this bullpen? Yeah, what's your best pitch? Probably a mid-70s fastball. Ooh, that's going to be tough to work with. Does it spin? We won't know until we get a tra- uh, some track mandate on my fastball. I think you need to learn how to throw a slider. I'll work on that. I I, I don't know if 70 is going to cut it. Oh, you got to change your arm angle. Remember, average is bad. Yeah, I can go the Penn Murphy arm angle instead. Oh, no. Throw a submarine. No, there we go. Because that's what they tell everyone who can't throw hard enough. Just throw underhand. 
I'll just send Jerry an email. What do I have to do to get in this bullpen? How hard do I need to throw? What does my spin rate need to be? What does my vertical attack angle have to be? Just everything. I think you it, got some stuff to work on, but thankfully for you, driveline's right down the road. Yeah, it's right there. can just drive right up, pay for some sessions. There you go. Sounds like a plan. Well, good stuff. We'll, we'll keep track of this through the offseason. You'll have a lot of time to go do it. Hey, I won't say no. All right, let's go down on the farm. Okay, Lyle, who you got this week? It has to be Ty Pete. It has to be. You're talking about a guy who hit a grand slam in back-to-back innings this week. He hit a grand slam in he hit grand slams in each of his two at bats. He hits a grand slam, first grand slam of his minor league career, then turns around and hits another one the very next inning, and the second one was off a of southpaw. Ty Pete is hitting just under 400 since joining Modesto. He is OPSing over 1,100, and he has looked awesome. It's pretty good. The Mariners' first-round picks have have looked good. We haven't seen any Formel yet, but Colt Emerson just hit his first home run yesterday, an inside-the-park home run, and Ty Pete with something he might not ever do again in his pro career. Just might not. He, he, he won't. I, I'm I'm almost assuredly saying he's not going to hit grand slams and back-to-back innings ever again in his pro career. But, wow, he's been good. He has been super good so far in Modesto. They don't look, for a couple of teenagers, they do not look overwhelmed at all. And they've only played a few games, so we'll see how they continue to progress. But you can't be anything but exciting, but excited watching those two early on here because they've seriously looked awesome. And oh, by the way, this feels like a decent chance to throw out here so we can get out of this ahead of time for any of you listening. Tune into Wednesday's show because we're going to have Ty Pete on. We're really excited about it. Little spoiler, we've already recorded with him. It is going to be Wednesday's show, and he is seriously awesome. We, we'll leave it at that. I think you're going to really enjoy the interview. We love talking to him, and I think he's got a chance to be a fan favorite here pretty quick. Oh incentive to wait until next week. There you go. People will be waiting. People will be waiting. We publish at 3 a.m. if you want to set your alarm. The guy I'm choosing this uh, 3 p.m. Pacific, uh, 3 a.m. Pacific, that is. I'm choosing Spencer Packard. Lyle, I don't know. Are enough people talking about Spencer Packard? He's in double A, and he is not on the Mariners' top 30 prospects. Let me let me just let that known. Not, not on the Mariners' top 30 prospects. He was a ninth-round pick out of Campbell in 2021. And all this dude has done since July 1st, down in AA, is hit 358, 423, 547 with a 970 OPS. He's gone yard seven times, driven in 35 runs, 11 doubles, and walked 18 times. That's a pretty good flash line for Arkansas in a noted pitcher's park. And it doesn't seem to really matter for him. He's just taking a sledgehammer to it. So I, I highlighted Spencer Packard early in the year because he got off to a really good start too. And he basically hasn't wavered throughout the course of the season. He's been awesome. No, people don't talk about him enough because, because he is not labeled as a blue chip prospect. Maybe people don't pay as much attention to him as they will some other guys. He can flat out hit. I'd assume he's going to be in AAA to start next year. I don't know what else he has to do with his bat in AA. And if he continues to hit in AAA, you just never know. We're not going to sit here and promise he's going to be an impact major league bat. But when you're hitting like that in a pitcher's park and you were a really good college bat, you just have to sit and at least wonder 
What could he possibly be? So let's see how he progresses because I'm excited to keep watching him. Well, the way I thought about this is he's essentially doing right now what you hope Tyler Locklear is doing by what, next June, right? And Spencer Packard's got 100 games on him in AA plus. So that's like the kind of the standard he's at right now. So don't be surprised. Keep your eye on Spencer Packard. He's been, he's been mashing. He's been mashing. I've got to keep an eye on him. And again, people will talk about Locklear more because he is the higher end prospect. But Spencer Packer keeps doing his thing. Again, you just never know. You never know which guys from the minor leagues could really hit and totally pan out. You just don't know. So let's keep it, like you said, let's keep an eye on Spencer Packer as he keeps going forward. And he's probably going to be in Tacoma next year. Okay, with that, let's get to our MLB wraparound. So little behind the curtain into our show prep, there's one storyline we had to take out this week. We we're going to talk about Mookie Betts and the Ronald Acuna MVP race in the National League. We're going to save that probably for another week because a story popped up on Tuesday that cannot go unnoticed. TJ, the Los Angeles Angels are at it again. We need a new name for this segment. I was thinking about that. What should we rename it? Artie's Tales? Artie's Angels? I don't know. Like, I don't even know where to start with this. Could you imagine, think about this, a hypothetical team has this just unbelievable star, once-in-a-generation player that's going to be a free agent, not so confident they're going to keep him. And they say, you know what? I think we'll keep him. We think we're only three and a half games out of a playoff spot. We're going to go all in to win for him, and maybe he'll stay. Because that's our best shot. Show them that we care about winning. And we'll stay. Little do they know, three weeks later, they go from three and a half games out to 12 and a half games out. And then all those said players they acquired at said trade deadline, they put on waivers to get claimed for free starting tomorrow. Now, would this said star player be incentivized to play another game this season for said organization? Uh, I don't know. Would he? So let's just headline the names. The Angels on Tuesday put on waivers Lucas Giolito, Matt Moore, Ronaldo Lopez, Hunter Renfro, and Randall Grichik. That is a fifth of your team, all who are established veterans. Giolito, who you traded a decent amount to get, only to keep him for one month and then let him go because essentially you've thrown the towel in on this season. This team is such a meme. They are a literal TV show. They're a soap opera. The Angels are a soap opera. Well, don't forget Dominic Leone, Lyle. They put him on waivers too, former M. Oh, they did. They did put Leone on waivers. Yeah, so TJ highlighted this in our social media post for Tuesday. You can go check it out on TikTok, Instagram, really wherever you want. He said this, the following, and let me put it out there. I am fully in agreement with him. If I'm Shohei Otani, I'm not showing up the rest of the season. And apparently I got called a quitter for that. So that was fun. I got a kick out of that. <laughs> I'm sorry, but all you have asked out of your team as a result of being the best player on planet Earth and possibly the greatest player of all time is please just get some winning players around me. And now I'm trying to play to win through a torn UCL only for you to go and cut nearly our entire team and a bunch of established vets. No, I'm so, done. I'm, me... I'm not showing up. 
let me qualify. They're not cutting them. They're just on waivers. So they, I think they stay on the Angels as long as nobody has claimed them. But as soon as someone claims them, they get them for free or free. They got to pay the rest of their salary. But they're not they're not getting DFA'd. I got kind of confused about this too, but I don't I don't believe they actually get outright released until someone takes them. No, you're right. I I misspoke. They they do not get straight up cut. Right. But they are opting to let these guys go. That's go. how I should that's that's how I should qualify for nothing. You don't get anything back. They just leave. And remember, the Angels had, uh, I believe, one top 100 prospect at the deadline, and they actually technically they have two because Logan Ohapi is still a top 100 prospect, even though he's on the big league roster. But they had the catcher that they sent to the White Sox in the Giolito Ronaldo Lopez trade, uh, and now they're essentially they are going like somebody's going to claim Lucas Giolito. He's had a terrible season, but somebody needs a starter. And Ronaldo Lopez is actually was pretty good as an angel, so someone's going to get him too. And you can never have enough bullpen help. I'd be like, if he was sitting there for the M's, I'd take him. But I don't think he's getting down to the Mariners at 26 in the waiver wire. So uh, I did mention last week when we were talking about the Angels again in our weekly now Angels segment about how bad the deadline acquisitions had been. This has to go down as one of the worst deadlines of all time for a team that, quote, quote, unquote, tried to go for it. Let me read you through some stats. These are about a week old, but they're still relevant. Uh, CJ Crone, 54 OPS plus. Uh, I think that's, is that Eduardo Escobar, 64 OPS plus. Randall Gritchick, 42 OPS plus. Mike Moustakis, 104 OPS plus. Uh, Dominic Leone, a 3 ERA. Lucas Giolito, a 667. ERA. And then Lopez had like a 1-8 small sample. So, wow. Good job. Good job, Perry. Let Perry cook. Let me say this again. If I'm Shohei with my torn UCL, I'm telling the Angels, I'm done. I have no incentive to play anymore. I'm hitting free agency. I'm going to start recovering my elbow and start rehabbing. Now, whether that means Tommy John or not, again, that hasn't been decided. But just in one way or another, start resting not waste my time hitting for your team anymore, and then I'm going to be a free agent in league. Because what incentive does he have to keep playing for this team? Here's another very, very interesting thing about these waiver moves and and the, some of the players they decided to put on waivers. So the Mar- the Angels' current payroll sits at, I believe, $241 million. So the players they have placed on waivers are worth about $7.5 million of contract if every single one of them gets picked up. Now, the luxury tax threshold is $233 million. Now, if the Angels pay luxury tax this season and Shohei leaves, I believe, uh, okay, I believe this is all correct. I did did read this. Uh, Their comp pick would be at the end of the fourth round. If they go under the luxury tax by the end of this year, the pick is at the end of the second round. So I thought that was uh, a little curious that Artie's shedding some payroll, his already bloated payroll, to try and get like try and get a second round pick for when Shohei leaves, despite the fact he already gutted the farm system. So got a chuckle out of that. I'm saying it again. I said it last week. I'm saying it again. The two worst franchises in Major League Baseball are both in the AL West, and neither of them are the Seattle Mariners. Here's another thing you're going to laugh at. So uh, when the Angels traded for Giolito and Lopez, they were a game and a half ahead of the Mariners. 
what is is it 13 and a half now with the win today and the angels lost because bryce harper hit his 300th home run i think right they lose today well i know bryce harper hit his 300th home run today yeah it's mini storyline thrown in there i'm checking the standings here real quick i think it's 13 and a half now so you can say it's like the angels traded when they traded what was it is it's it still 12. 12 and a half 12 well that's a shame okay regardless since the Angels traded for Ronaldo Lopez and Lucas Giolito, the Mariners in that same span have gained 13 and a half games on them. It's pretty impressive. It's unreal. The Angels are going to be so bad for the next five to 10 years. It's crazy. And I'm going to say it again, too. Repeat of last week. It's deja vu all over again. Time for Mike Trout to request a trade. If you care at all about trying to build your legacy up, Go somewhere else, dude, because this team outside of you, once Shohei leaves, is going to be close to the biggest disaster in baseball behind the Oakland A's. Impressive stuff from our friends down in Anaheim. Let's get to our second note here on the MLB wraparound. What is up with this Ronald Acuna thing? How? Do, so, If you missed it, yesterday on Tuesday, there were two, um, two fan. was this Tuesday or Monday, actually? Monday. It was Monday. Okay, cool. Good thing we got that right. Okay, on Monday, Braves are playing at Coors Field. Ronald's just kind of standing in the outfield, and a dude runs on the field and gets all the way to Acuna and, like, tries to take a picture with him, puts his arms around him. Just so uncomfortable. Four security people come over to try and rip wrestle this dude away from Acuna, and they're miserably failing. All while this other dude runs onto the field behind him to try and, like, to try and get Acuna again. And they let him get all the way to him and like knocks Acuna over. It's so weird. So weird. Like, how do you let that happen? I don't know what's going on with the security at Coors Field. I know it's not, I know you only have so many security people and you can't contain every fan from trying to run on the field. Not that most fans ever do that. But I just don't know how you don't get to those guys faster. I'm honestly shocked Acuna didn't try to kind of walk away from them once time was called and play had to be stopped. But man, it's they're lucky Acuna didn't get hurt. Because I'll tell you what, if these fans had actually hurt Acuna and he had to miss time, could you imagine how big this story would get? Is that like a lawsuit? Like, can you sue someone for that? That's a good question. Could you sue the Rockies for that? I don't know. I mean... I didn't go to law school, but even though the law school was right across from Cronkite at ASU, no, I did not go to that school. I, all I know is this would have built up like flames as a story if those fans had actually hurt Acuna and the brave superstar had to miss time. I'm shocked that like, like I'm, I'm Marvel that Acuna like didn't like like swing or shove anyone or, or do anything because I would have to like think about this like we both played high school baseball could you imagine someone like jumping the fence and running up to you in the outfield and trying to give you a hug in the middle of the game like no you'd like shove them away like people would be pissed off maybe Acuna was smarter than most people would be in that regard because then even though it would be totally unfair for people to pinpoint it like this Somehow somebody would spin the story to Acuna shoves fan, which would be ridiculous because they shouldn't be getting near him. They're not allowed to be on the field. Next up on first take, or sorry, undisputed. <laughs> there we go. There we go. 
is Ronald Acuna's legacy affected by him trying to prevent a fan from tackling him in the middle of the game? Next, Ronald Acuna is no longer the NL MVP. Next on Undisputed. <laughs> but yeah, credit to a credit to Acuna because I wouldn't have. Like that's like that's kind of weird. Like total strangers running up to you in the middle of the game and and doing that. Like kind of weird and even worse on like the Colorado Rockies security for again four people were had hit, had the first guy were like holding a body part of his and the dude was had his still had his arm wrapped around Acuna. How like what are you doing? And they took Acuna to the ground at one point. Like he was on yeah. the ground. Now thankfully it was a very light takedown because they kind of wrap tackled and bear hugged him to the ground where he ended up being okay, which thank goodness. But I wonder if this rises security issues throughout baseball and they have to up the security a little bit to make sure something like this doesn't happen. Yeah, you can't have guys like Ronald Acuna subject to fan. Like you can't ever have a fan have the ability to run up to a player because one of these days a fan might run up to Anthony Rendon and well, we know what would happen. They get punched in the face. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's not missing this time. Yeah, exactly. Well, he missed that ace fan. He tried to swing at that ace fan, and he just missed. Well, this time they'll be on a level a level playing field, and Rendon is going to have time to put his glove down, throw a punch, and then realize he just broke his wrist, and he's going to have to go back on the 60-day IL. <laughs> Would they ever think about putting nets up behind the outfield walls the way they put nets up in foul territory to try to prevent this sort of thing? No, I don't think so. I mean, the aesthetic of the baseball game wouldn't look as cool if they did that because you wouldn't see home runs flying a million feet. But it just depends on how serious they are if they start to try to up security. Yeah. See, again, thankfully, Ronald did not get hurt. So I don't think this is a bridge they would cross right now. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully it's never a bridge they have to cross because hopefully most fans are smart enough to not do that. That's the big thing. Yeah. Yes. Third storyline, while Ronald Acuna didn't get injured, our third story for this MLB wraparound, Felix Batista did. The Orioles just took a massive hit this past week as the best closer in all of baseball now has a UCL injury. Everybody's waiting for further information on it, but Batista isn't pitching right now and the likelihood that he comes back this season with a UCL injury already diagnosed seems bleak. Yeah, I don't know how to how to think about this. Like they said they just want to let it calm down. They still have a month left to the postseason. Like he's not a guy who would need a rehab assignment or anything like that. He could just come back and pitch. But like this affects the Orioles. This is how they win games. They're they're not a team that blows teams out on a regularity like the Dodgers do or the Braves do. Like they win close games because they have dynamite arms at the back end of their bullpen and they've been remarkably clutch this year. Well, now you take your biggest bullpen weapon away and that leaves you a little vulnerable. Like some of these close games now you might not be able to hang on to at the end because you don't have Felix Bautista firing 102 miles an hour at the middle of a team's order. The Orioles as a team this year offensively rank 13th in Team WRC Plus at 104. So they are an above average offense. They're not a great offense. They're not a, They're not an elite offense. It's not what's winning them games. What's won them games this year, to piggyback off of you, 
is they have essentially made baseball games seven innings long. Because if they're winning after seven innings, it is automatic. They go to Yanir Cano in the eighth. They go to Felix Batista in the ninth. They shut it down. The Orioles win. Game over. You don't have the best closer in all of baseball on your roster anymore pitching the ninth inning or pitching two innings like he did against the Mariners to shut them down. Things change all of a sudden massively for the Orioles. I think their ceiling as a postseason team takes a massive hit if Batista's not pitching. And those are the exact types of weapons that win you postseason games. Like the Orioles still very well might win the American League East and we'll get a bye and we'll have the best record in the American League heading into the playoffs. That's still a very real possibility. But if there's a team that can go out there and just slug their starting pitching, who I was talking about this earlier with a colleague of mine at the radio station, it's like they don't really have like those dogs in the rotation, like the M's, like the Mariners, they have... uh, like great baseball terminology. They have dogs in their starting rotation. Well, the Orioles advantage is having dogs in their bullpen, but if they can't even get to their bullpen that way, and even if they have that situation in these high pressure scenarios, you don't have your biggest dog in the bullpen. That really, that really kind of hurts you. So it'll be, it'll be curious to see. It's like the 2021 Mariners losing Paul Seawald. Like if they did, they didn't, but if they did like that would have crushed them right? Because that's how that team won games. And this is how this Orioles team wins games. And I don't know about you, but if I were an Orioles fan, I would not feel confident relying on Kyle Bradish to try to win you game one of a playoff series. Because that's probably who's starting the first game, even though his season makes no sense because he's had a really good ERA, but everything about his savant page screams he should not be any good and is just due for a ton of regression. That feels like the type of guy where you get him in a postseason start, and he's getting blown up halfway to hell. At least, like, Grayson Rodriguez has been better, though. Like, when he, he went down to AAA, he's come back, he's throwing gas, and, and and he's been a little bit more effective. But I don't think he's at the point where he's starting a playoff game, or at least not starting the first one. He might still start a playoff game. Yeah, G-Rod's actually started to really pick it up. His last handful of starts, he started to look sharp. So that is a good point. But I feel like if you're just going to go off of season as a whole and experience, they're probably going to go with somebody like Bradish in game one. And again, I would not trust that guy in my rotation to win me a playoff series personally. I just just don't love it. So we think about it this way, too. We talked about this when Paul Seawold got traded. You need to essentially now replace the Orioles need to replace four innings a week, mm-hmm. give or take. And at the end of the world, when you're playing six games a week, four innings is not a whole lot. They're four pretty important innings, four innings where you're leading and the middle of the opponent's lineup is coming up. That can be a big difference, and we are going to see over this next month whether the Orioles actually do have the guys in their bullpen besides Yanir Cano. I mean, Danny Colomay has been pretty good this year out of the bullpen, but outside of that, I mean, they called up D.L. Hall. His stuff's pretty good, but he's been inconsistent. So that's that's a question that they're going to need to answer here down the stretch. Yeah, Fujinami has big stuff, but sometimes he has no clue where it's going and can't throw strikes. Yanir Cano is good. I would say there is definitely a drop-off between Cano and Batista, however. I think Batista is at least a step ahead of Cano. And past Cano in the ninth inning, and even with Cologne, there's just a big drop-off. Then you're asking these relievers to fill up a lot more innings and guys who you trust a lot less than Felix. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And this American League East re- race is going to be almost as interesting as the American League West race. And those that the Rays and Orioles are neck and neck right now. And now we look at it, another team is particularly healthy either. 
I think the AL as a whole is just going to be super intriguing. I mean, the NL, it feels like we're on a crash course for a Dodgers, Braves, NLCS. One of them's going to the World Series. If I had to put money down, it'd be the Braves. The American League, it is wide open. It could be literally anybody right now. It could. Maybe except any of the central teams. The Twins have been pretty good, but... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not, not them. So between the Astros, Rangers, Mariners, Rays, Orioles, and if the Blue Jays find some way to sneak their way in... Like, of those six teams, it could be any of them. It could be. I do love playoff time. I can't wait one month, one month away. Mm-hmm. We can make it. Okay, let's get to our Russell Wilson umpire of the week. All right, Lyle, would you like to introduce our candidate? We got a good one today. Congratulations, Carlos Torres. You are this week's winner of the Russell Wilson ump of the week. He managed to miss four calls in the first three innings of the game in the Twins-Rangers series. That seemed to aggravate Joey Gallo. So as a result, arguing balls and strikes, Torres tosses him right out of the game. That infuriated Rocco Baldelli, Twins manager. He has issues with it. Carlos Torres tosses him right out of the game. So those two get ejected for telling Torres, you're not doing your job or calling balls and strikes correctly. They lose, they lose their spot in the game that day. And then what does Torres do after that? Oh, he just turns back around. Misses another eight calls for the day, seven of them going against the Twins. Impeccable stuff from Carlos Torres. So uh, we have a case of not being able to see over the middle and bailing out of the pocket too quickly from, from Mr. Torres. That's, that's pretty impressive. It's hard to get both of those in the same day, but he managed. It's one thing to eject a guy or two guys, being a player and a manager in this case. It's another thing when you eject them and you're actually wrong, the players and managers are telling you you're wrong, and you're still on enough of a power trip where you're like, yep, you're done. And then you go back to doing the same shitty job you were already doing. We love umpires every week. We tell you why. Yes, we do. All right, let's get to speak your mind here. Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. What do you got, TJ? All right. Well, we did say we were going to do this this week. So I'm just going to say I really, really liked Ahsoka. I thought it was pretty good. Okay. We're in the trust tree here. I had a very busy weekend. We were out at the ballpark all, all weekend. We were back Tuesday. We had a show to record Monday and an interview with Ty. So I still have not watched Ahsoka yet. It oh, is very... well, good thing I didn't get. The... Good thing I didn't spoil it. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, and this is totally on me because I said on our last episode I was going to watch it before the next time we record a Speak Your Mind where we talk about it. So I've done this to myself. If you want to talk about it, it is totally fine. No, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to okay. because I already kind of got episode three spoiled for me. I watched it last night. I got it spoiled before I watched it, which was disappointing, and I wouldn't want to do the same thing to you. So. Uh, but, you know, I, I liked it. I liked it. I'll probably leave it at that. And we can we can kick this down the road to next week. The only other thing I have is uh, hot seat my microphone. I'm getting a new one. Thank goodness. I don't have to sound like I'm talking out of a tin can sometimes. Uh, and I'll sound professional. I like it. I'm excited. This is what being an adult is like. You buy things that will uh, that aren't toys, but kind of feels like it, to be honest. I don't think your mic's been terrible by any stretch. I think it's perfectly done a serviceable job, but I also know the new mic you bought is very, very high end. So I think you're going to sound 
pretty good. Not that you don't sound good already, but I think just the quality of your sound will be another step above once you get it. I think so too. Oh, and last thing, uh, really looking forward to getting back in the full swing of like fall sports season. Cause like now is like when my schedule really just starts getting slammed. For example, this week I'm calling soccer tomorrow, by the way, like still like a very interesting sport for me to call. Cause it's 90 minutes of just me on a, on a Oregon state live stream, which is going to be very fascinating. Uh, the game will already be over by the time you're listening to this, but uh, still, this is my uh, my pregame prep. High school football on Friday, and then we got a full full game day on Sunday when when Oregon State opens up. I do like this time of year because it keeps me very busy, uh, and I realize I have no free time, so that's fun. Life in sports piled on top with this podcast. Yes, of course. Well, that was given. Yeah. It is weird Oregon State's playing on a Sunday. I know the first weekend or two of the year, there's some games on Sundays, but it's funny Oregon State kind of got the short end of the stick there. I don't think anyone's complaining, though, because they're playing on CBS. So way Uh, easier to watch. Unlike another Pac-12 program that played last weekend uh, against the same San Jose State Spartans, and nobody could watch it because it was on Pac-12 Network. What a great channel, honestly. What a phenomenal, phenomenal channel. One more year. God, it is. It is terrible. What an awful channel. Okay. I have two quick things on my speak your mind this week. One is sort of Mariners related. I know you were talking about at the start of the show. I'm not allowed to be at the ballpark anymore. Rare exception. I did leave the game early yesterday and actually about the second inning where usually I always stay the full game and love to sit and watch and we'll be working on stuff and editing things and tweeting out during the game. But I went to a Mariners watch party uh, yesterday evening, Tuesday evening. Because our friend Jason Churchill set it up because TJ and I are in the Slack group with a bunch of Mariners fans and people talk in there on a regular basis. And Jason said he was putting together this event. He said, oh, over at Tavern Hall in Bellevue, we're going to hang out, watch the Mariners game. We'll all get to talk, you know, chop it up, all that good stuff. It was really fun. It wasn't like this huge group or anything. It was probably 10 to 12 people. But it was fun to kind of talk to some other Mariners fans and talk to some fans that like us are very, very invested in the team and really know their stuff. And we got to meet some new cool people. So I, I enjoyed being there a bunch. That's cool. Yeah. Hopefully I'm in town for the next one. That'd be fun. Yeah, it was really fun. I I enjoyed it. So, and a couple of people there said they listened to the podcast, which is really cool. The other thing I've got is I have been seeing a lot of back to school commercials recently because we're almost at that time. Not that it affects us, but man, between seeing all the back to school commercials and knowing that Labor Day is almost here and school's about to start again for people. It's just given me real PTSD of how much I used to despise this time of year. Not when we were in college. And believe it or not, when we were at school, I actually, for the most part, would look forward to going back because I'd get to see all our friends, you included. Although I guess we saw each other every summer anyway, because we were always in the same spot, whether it was Seattle or Cape Cod. But like high school in general, oh, I'm getting major PTSD. Man, I hated school so much. What a, what a terrible place. What class do you miss the most? Beatles class? <laughs> no, de- actually serious. No, like which class did you actually quote unquote miss the most? I don't even, what was my What was least, your kryptonite? Man, everything. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess, um, I mean, I guess if I had to pick, it'd be science. I mean, I, 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 I wanted to just, I don't know, walk right out every time I stepped in that class. 
To anyway. translate, no wonder why Lau went to ASU. Joe, greatest thing ever. Greatest <laughs> choice I ever could have made going to ASU. <laughs> I mean, God, school I mean, school really does suck. I, I think the way school is structured, by the way, is just so ridiculously outdated. And I'm not saying everybody learns the same, but for me, I have learned so much more in my lifetime watching YouTube videos and learning off a five, 10 minute instruction thing. If you're curious about something rather than sitting in a classroom at a desk for seven hours a day. I mean, just listening to somebody talk at you. I mean, what a, what a disaster of an idea. Similar to how people are still hanging on to batting average. The idea of school is like a hundred years old. And I can't like thinking back to school. Like I know people have nine to fives, but like waking up that early to go to class that started for me at seven fifty in the morning, every uh, five days a week was very interesting. I have no idea how I did that. And at ASU, it is nothing of the sorts. Uh, I only had one semester total with a Friday class. Rarely ever did I have classes four days a week, even. Uh, so that if you need a reason to go to ASU, that that would be one. But and then I <laughs> think about it and laugh now because I definitely don't have a, a normal job now. I can't say ever I've had to wake up at not multiple days in a row at 630 to to be anywhere by before eight o'clock. So I think that's uh, kind of fascinating. But if you have a nine to five, you probably understand. If you have a nine to five, you get paid. You don't get paid to go to correct. school. Yeah, that is correct. There is some incentive there. Yeah. If you wonder why we love taking all these online classes at ASU, it's to make up for how miserable we used to be sitting in all these in-person classes in high school. So it's much easier to sit in bed hungover and do class on your computer than it is to show up to class hungover and pay attention. ASU's got a lot of really good online classes. Uh, they do. They do. Yep. <laughs> we thrived. We're sitting here thriving. Man. Uh, so, yeah, that's my speak your mind. I am sorry to the people that have to go back to school. I don't, I do not envy you one little bit. But that's just a wrap on everything we got for speak your mind. Okay. I think that just about wraps up this edition of the Marine Layer podcast. You guys know the drill. You want to listen to the full form podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google. And Amazon, if you do that, make sure to follow us, guys. Hit the download button. Leave us that five-star review. The downloads and the reviews really help us get the podcast out there even more. So help us out and take the extra few seconds to do that. Head over to our YouTube channel, our video side of the podcast, and hit subscribe on YouTube. Like, comment, turn the notification bells on. That way you know when we post clips, shows, segments, YouTube shorts, all that stuff. You'll get, you'll get a notification about it. And then follow us on social media, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube Shorts, at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.